Hello Hilltop Podcast. I'm here with Paul and Johnny. Hello, Paul and Johnny. Hello, Mike and Johnny. Hello there. What's the worst that could happen? Paul and Johnny, what's the worst that could happen? Paul, you've been keeping up with the glass cannon. <laughs> you've been keeping up with the glass cannon, Paul, yeah. So yeah. the book that they're doing now, book six, I can't remember what it's called, with the flying castle, all of that yes. business, that is written by Tito Laarte. And Tito Laarte is the author of the book we're about to start, book five, The Champion's Belt. I thought you'd find that interesting. That is interesting. It's a very, yeah. they do it very well. It's very good. Troy Lavalli is a big fan of that adventure. And from what I've read, uh, you know, the looking through the, the next section, preparing for when we're going to be running through it, it is, it's just a really interesting idea. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about book four, which we've just finished. I thought that was good. Did, well, I don't know what your impressions were. I really liked it. I think that after we'd kind of notched up a level uh, after beating the Double Gamma boss, it got fairly scary. I thought the Mind Flare was pretty scary. Things ratcheted up. Yeah, a bit less scary than the old first edition kind of... Yeah, I think everybody had that in their mind, that it was like a first edition Mind Flare, which, yeah, they used to be quite Clearly not. Yeah, although, I mean, the fear of it was was almost as it... Yeah, was almost as important yes. as the um, as the reality of it. Even when you had reason to believe that there might be a mind flare waiting for you, but you weren't sure that it was true. You were already terrified. It's a very well written adventure. Jason Bullman uh, wrote it. Yeah, it was there. my favourite bit of the adventure so far. I think the ah, bit okay, under the um, warehouse, the sodden yeah. hold. Yeah, yeah. Just as an aside, yeah. isn't first edition wasn't that kind of like tend to be more scary than five e yeah. anyway? Yeah. Much more lethal. Yeah, all round. Yeah. You had save oh, or die effects save or and die. stuff. Yeah. There's no death saving throws. There's no, or what some people call save or suck. That is, yeah. you know, effects that hit you and just effectively knock you out of stuff. Fifth edition tends to give you a, a save every round to pull yourself out of it. Uh, yeah. Previous editions have been less merciful. Gotcha. The mind flare is like a kind of iconic creature from the older editions of Dungeons and Dragons, which yeah. just terrifies people. Psionic powers as well. I'm not familiar to what extent psionic rules exist for fifth edition. Anybody know? Not a clue. No, but they'd be bring them back. Yes. I mean, uh, extra levels of complexity. We'll have to see about that. And for me, the central character of um, book four is Uncle Buggy. The whole episode with the doppelganger, the fact that he wasn't really who he seemed to be, and then the redemption bit, leaping off the balcony to defeat mm. that terrifying mind flayer. I just think kind of put Uncle Buggy right at the centre of everything. Yeah, I, I possibly agree with that. I mean, obviously I'm running him, so he seems central mm. to me. But uh, yeah, well, yeah, you're asleep, but yeah. it's not his round. Yeah. When I'm not yeah. asleep, but <laughs> him jumping onto the mind flare. I mean, yeah, awesome. That was unusual. I didn't, know, I didn't. It was unusual because I don't know whether everybody's going to support me. I, I've still got the uh, Grimbold <laughs> fear that everybody will just bugger off and and leave me. Right. So well, it well, was a leap yeah. in the dark. It was literally a leap in the dark, a leap in the gloom, at least, yeah. Yeah. It was just great the way that that all kind of rounded out. Now, so far as I could tell from the early comments at the end of last week, Uncle Buggy is going to lead your team of gladiators into book five. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I hope so. Excellent. Well, I think that just that's very fitting. Book five is a very, it's a definite change of tone. It's got a theme to it, which is very different. The Hall of Harsh Reflections is all about deception and mirrors and not knowing who's who and whatever. Book five is much more of a kind of a contradiction between the open contest, perhaps, of the gladiatorial arena and then the secrets that may lie beneath it. And I think we'll enjoy it. Sounds good. We should push on. You can find us on Twitter at Billowing Hilltop. You can find us on Facebook. You can email us at hello at billowinghilltop.com. Paul will translate your email into Spanish 
and sing it from the roof of his house. If you're enjoying our show, we implore you to rate and review on your podcast app of choice. Is that it, everyone? Yep. Yeah. Anything else? No. Okay, so let's push on with episode 61 of the Billowing Hilltop podcast, Stadium Arcade. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Evenstar is a shining city, the city at the edge of the world. The beacon atop its grand keep is a guiding light of goodness and purity. At the city walls, the Order of the Broken Staff watched the horizon, never blinking, never resting. At the great fortified gates, they stand vigil, against the dangers beneath the city streets and in the lands that wait, that mysterious wilderness to the west. In the sorcerer's spire, the seers peer into their scrying pools, ever vigilant for any sign of incursion, and the scholars are ever watchful, their instruments tuned for disturbances in the fabric of the protective magics that wreathe the city. There are threats on all sides, malignant forces bent upon the city's destruction, but safe within its defences, the people of Evenstar can live without fear and at peace. Or can they? The corruption of Chios is spreading. It has infected Diamond Lake. It has crept through the hidden spaces in the Cairn Hills. It has been carried across the wilderness by ghoul-touched birds and beasts, and now does it lurk quietly in the shadows, in the very heart of Evenstar. For something is growing, something festers. The corruption of Chios can find a home in the hearts of even the most mighty. The promise of freedom from mundane concerns, the promise of freedom from the shackles of mortality, can turn those with fear and greed in their inner hearts to treachery and evil. And in return for those promises, what acts of wickedness might they perpetrate? What depravities might they stoop to? And what lengths might they go to to conceal their true nature? Our heroes must be wary. Our heroes must tread carefully, very carefully. <clears throat> right, la 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 la. On the chaise long, all day long, on the chaise long. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. How is everybody? Hello. Yeah, you're hello, good, hello. You're good. Thank you very much indeed. We're about to start book five of The Age of Worms, everyone. Ooh. It won't have escaped your notice at the end of the last episode that you were given the opportunity to enter some uh, gladiatorial games, and we'll get into all of that at the moment. But I just thought, yeah, you'd be interested to know that we are starting book five. Out of how many? Uh, of 12. Of 12. Jesus H. Christ. Well, no, I mean, so this and another, and we're halfway through, which I scarcely can believe, I have to say. Anyway, this one is called The Champion's Belt. And it's all about, as you can imagine, certainly at least at the beginning, is about the great games and even star for misrule. Where were we? Can anybody remember where we were? Yes. If anybody who can can then can catch us up. We are in Evenstar. We yes. have gone to see Eligos with various bits and bobs after defeating the Mind Flayer. And yes. we have been shopping and selling and buying and getting ready for the gladiatorial games, which we are going to enter as a team. Uh, readers, you will be delighted to know that mopping up 
the end of all of the bits of magic and stuff that they picked up last time has been done off mic. We actually got ourselves organised. Yeah, we, but we should run around. Lay Mike down on the ground and rolled on him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we should mercilessly. Try, we should try and summarise, shouldn't we? Just briefly zip through what people did. Uh, why don't? Can anybody remember what they've got and what they did? Let's start with. Uh, yes, I can. Dan, <laughs> Dan can remember. I well, can I, remember because I can consult some. Because you've done some, you've done some selling, and you've done, you've, done, you've sold some stuff, you've yeah. bought some stuff. So we basically and we don't have any more magic items to roll for. Basically, is in a summary. Yeah. So we basically used your convoluted, overly ridiculous system to roll for the magic, and yeah. So we distributed certain bits. I got a figurine of wondrous power. I don't know what everyone else got, but everyone got something. The rest of the items that weren't claimed went into a pot, which we then sold those items. Yes. And we added some other items of our own. So I sold my rope of climbing, which I never used. Yeah. And I bought an amulet of health, which basically gives me 50% more hit points and yes. plus three on my constitution save. And led just the Graham absolute to do the nuts. same with sessions. Yeah, I did something quite similar. I, um, I sold the wand of the war mage mm. and bought a cloak of protection. Never really took the one to the warm age, did it? No. Oh, I mean, it, it would have been, yeah, better for someone with more hitty. So I guess it was quite useful more for hitty. the yeah. uh, crushing coin, but it's not the end of the world. The protection and saves from the um, cloak were really good. And then I sacrificed the um, mace of spell storing for the amulet of health for the same reasons, I think, that Dan took it. I feel a lot right. more robust yeah. now, especially if we've got some sort of gladiatorial thing coming up. You didn't just interjecting. You there were two items that you kept back to leave with Edegoss for her to have a look at: the mysterious black book and the book that's chained up and sort yeah. of is trying to escape. What about Paul Alessandra? Did what shopping and Alessandra so forth did she do? went and got herself a ring of feather falling. <laughs> oh yes, which okay. yes, which caused yes. you a little. I think a little bit of surprise, but I think what she she's trying to do is get into all things. Oh. Well, she's trying to fall off things successfully <laughs> uh, yeah. without hurting herself, but she's trying to get yeah, into okay. a surprise attack position where she can, can be most dangerous. And if she can sneak up and over and then drop down without hurting, she can... Death she from can, above. Death from above. And her next purchase was going to be gloves of climbing, but she fell mm. short of the required gold pieces, so she's lent Burple a couple of hundred gold pieces so he can... Should have bought the rope of climbing off Burple, thereby giving him the money and you the means to climb up. But, oh, why didn't I think of that? Yes. The, um, Damn it. Too late now. Too late now. Yeah, I did actually look at online chat around the Ring of Feather <sighs> Falling. Mm. And it, other people have the same idea as you, Paul. Which really? is what? Which is this sort of, well, they were talking about basically halo jumps, right? High altitude, low opening <laughs> kind of parachute jumps where you have a ring mm. of feather fall in your pocket. You jump off the back of a dragon from like 20,000 feet, right? Silently, <laughs> straight into the courtyard of the bad guys. Slip the ring on, if you'll excuse the phrase, at the very last instant, and then just sort of drop silently in like a sort of assassin. Anyway, well, I don't think things, you don't even need to slip it on, as it were. It's it just. I wait, think it, well, um, well, has to be worn. Okay, we, let's. We can have this argument at a really crucial juncture. Yeah, let's not discuss it and settle this now. Let's settle it when you're about five feet from the ground after a very long drop. What about Uncle Buggy? <laughs> Uncle Buggy. Um. Well, I sold the uh, Horn of Silent Alarm mm -hmm. and 
uh, what else did I sell? Oh yeah, that that evil trident of returning, which is actually wasn't too bad, but I needed the money. With it, I bought boots of speed, which. Uh, yes. doubles your walking speed i had to check that walking speed is yep. just your speed it's, so i can now move 70 foot around <laughs> nice but so you're three I foot tall move about the battlefield <laughs> you know, yeah. foot tall. Uh, it's like my, direction. my other <laughs> yes run away very fast my other uh, item is a ring of jumping so i am going to be able to i can jump up to 48 feet um, so that basically that's 45 feet uh, as part of movement, so I can just spring get away around. In all kinds of ways. I just think this is terrific. So he's like a three-foot-tall uh, bearded lunatic bouncing around. That's going to be around. zipping around really fast and bouncing around. And yeah. um, there's one thing I'd like to try and test out the rules, which is <laughs> I'd like to a test out. I can the move rules. through opponents that are one size smaller than me without any larger, penalties larger larger than me without any penalties so i think i should be able to jump through them it doesn't make any difference jump run doesn't make any difference yeah. right you use up jumping squares as part of normal movement so you can run through a square with somebody in it who's a size larger than you i can't see why you shouldn't jump through them it doesn't really make any difference i mean maybe i can jump over them and not get any attacks of opportunity yeah uh, i can jump, jump over 15 them. feet up in the air well, that's different. If you jump over somebody, what I don't know the rule for, but Graham normally knows these things, is if you do a long jump, how high do you go? Because they, they give you a rule for a long jump and a high jump, right? But they don't say if you, oh, if you jump no, 30 feet along. Dis- DM's discretion about jumping over oh, low obstacles and um, usually have to make a DC 10 athletics check to land normally. Okay, well, we'll have a look at that then. But I don't think that you can avoid attacks of opportunity from squares that you jump through, but you can mm-hmm. avoid attacks of opportunity from creatures that you jump over sufficiently high. I think that's perfectly, yeah. that seems completely I logical. I think the boots of speed means that I am, they have disadvantage on attacks of opportunity. I think I have to okay, check well, that. Okay, well, all of this stuff we can test. Not now, when it's reasonable to test it, but in the, um, right in the, when the we arena. get into the, yeah, in the well, if we get that far, who knows? Maybe you won't be accepted. Oh, the other thing I wanted to do. Oh yes, was take the oh, head give me a shock. of the Medusa. Yes. Uh, the sorry, the Medusa. Oh, you already have. You already oh, no. Have. Take the head. I'm going to get it stuffed by, with a, oh, uh, yes. a taxidermist. Is going to stuff that while I'm waiting for my magical items. So I want a light head, and then I'm sticking it on a pole, a bit like those Japanese samurai, and sticking. You know, they usually carry the banners at the back of their armor suit of armor. Yes. So yes. I'm, Got a big stick with a, with this uh, mind flare head on it. <laughs> you want the the mind flare head sort of preserved and hollowed out, stuck on a pole that then connects to the back of your armor, like a like a kind of Kurosawa yes person. Yes, that's a bit provocative. I mean, it's a bit provocative, but it's completely yeah. it's completely fine. I can't see that it's got no game impact, and I this is the kind of thing that I like. So that's fine. And Lucas Parker, did you what, any shopping? What did you sell? What did you yeah, buy? Yeah, very. Um... Very simple, really. I sold the handy haversack, and that gave me enough money to buy a plus two quarterstaff. Right, yes. Which okay. should give kind me some more, weapon. yeah, a bit of a signature weapon. Bit more welly. Um, and then I um, and I gave all the rest of my money to um, to Burple, so that he could Lent, I think, buy his am- amulet. Lent, true, yes, you're right. Well, you know. Well, cool. you said gave, so uh, I'll take that. All right, let's keep it civil. Yeah. Okay. Party funds and all that. That was it, basically. Really easy. 
If you're going to enter the gladiatorial games, I won't, we won't rehash what you discussed last time. You've met this chap called Garth Southportal. It's bald, twinkly-eyed, tall, thin human who has the money to enter a team in the games but had no team. And Eligos has kind of hooked him up with you and he's got the license to, to enter a team into the games. And Eligos thinks that you should enter the games because then you get to explore under the arena where she thinks you may find secrets out about Rachni and Loris Rachnian, who is the master of the games and who has acquired, this is the bit that you would never remember, from Zerxog, the mind flayer you just defeated, something called the Apostolic Scrolls. And the Apostolic Scrolls are something to do with your old friend Kios. She doesn't know everything about these scrolls. She knows it's bad news all round. The one specific thing she knows about them is that they apparently include the rites, the, the methods, the enchantments, whatever, that one needs in order to summon or create this gargantuan undead monster called the Ulgastasta. And that's what's given her the most concern. That's kind of what I meant by provocative, because essentially this guy has been trading with the mind flare whose head Johnny wants to then walk well, into yes. the arena with this thing kind of on a big pole <laughs> is, up it his is. back. <laughs> Well, that's yeah, almost certainly bit, guaranteed kind of like, to get us that's chosen. That's just the beginning of the things that See if you can discussed. guess why we're here. Well, what were you going to call your team? Uncle Buggy's somethings. Uncle Buggy and the Flare Slayers. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so that's quite provocative. Yeah. And you were going to have a badge. You were going to design a badge. What that badge looked like? It would be a flare with a... Uh, it's like <laughs> Ghostbusters, wasn't it? With a so nose. I'm, I'm just putting it out there that perhaps that's not the best... Uh, the best plan we if we want to fly a... under the radar and explore this place. Yeah, there was going to be a big kind of Monty Python pointy hand at us saying it was them, Gov. Yeah. He must know, Rachnian, who it is because he's hired somebody to kill you. So he knows who you are from the moment you turn up. Right. Yeah, provocation or not. All right. What Eligos feels is that he won't move against you when you're so publicly on view and part of an occasion that he is organising. Right hiding in plain sight. Did we know it was him, though? Well, you found a note in Zerxog, the Mind Flayer's possession, that basically said, I want these people killed. That's right. right. That's right. We did. He said there are a group of uh, people who have been causing trouble for me and my friends in Diamond Lake, and I want them dealt with. And it looks like that job was handed off to Telarkin, the clone. And let's not get back into all of that, because our poor readers have listened to enough of this. So, Yes, entering the games. The games begin, you have to register. It's thump day at the moment, the 25th of Fumbulary. And on Urt, the 28th of Fumbulary, the day before the Festival of Misrule, which the games are held in honour of, there is a pre-registration process, early evening, and then a grand banquet at eight o'clock in the arena, which we can worry about in a moment. In between now and then, this is where your shopping can take place. Yeah, you sell your items, you visit the casinos, you find a dealer called um, uh, uh, Bibbledib uh, Febbledob, <laughs> um, and he agrees to take the items that you want to sell off your hands and to source the items that you want to buy. Is there anything you'd like to do in those couple of days? Yeah. Obviously, maybe we do some research you get on your mind flare head done. Yeah, we need to on how this gladiatorial contest thing works. Effectively, it's a knockout competition with teams. Can we check out these books? Sure. We well, Eligos will look at them, but with she thinks Eligos. it's going to take her a little bit of time to um, get you some detail. Okay. She'll also look at the other 
oddities. There was a yeah. petrified pseudo dragon. There was the yeah. head of a black dragon with glowing green eyes. There was a weird effigy of burple. Yes. There was a strange black spiky cage. There's all sorts of other weird non-magical items. She's interested in these things. I mean, there's curios. She will see if she can find out anything interesting about them, anything that might be relevant to your adventure or your investigations. And maybe even because she is an archaeologist and so forth, she might be able to find you a home for them, perhaps even a buyer, because these are not the kind of things that are easily dealt with. But just, you know, you can't turn up to, what was he called again? <laughs> Bibble Dib Feveldob and say, <laughs> do you want to buy this whole black dragon's head? It doesn't do anything. That's not what you do. He wouldn't be interested. Okay. okay. Yeah. If you wanted, now that you've dealt with the mind flare, you could take possession of the sodden hold. I think we could set up camp there. As a base of operations. It's a bit hard to I'm- get to. You have to swim into it. Is there an easier way in? You can walk into the top layer. Yes, it's a bit swimmy, the second bit. The lever at the top of the column lowers the water. Then you end up with effectively quite a kind of convoluted way of getting in and out. But I don't know, it's up to you. You can get in and out through the sewers as well. Yeah, is there? Passage that you first encountered Zerksog the Mind Flayer in. Yes, yeah. when Uncle Buggy was leading the escape. Mm. That connects in with the sewers. Eligos, by the way, says, Sandra, she says, you should keep the commission document. Because when you're investigating under the arena or around the arena, you may end up mm. interfacing with the shallows. Yeah, okay. Yeah. What are the rules about this um, gladiatorial contest, by the way? The actual rules of the game... What, are, what, are, what is allowed in the arena, I guess is what I'm well, asking. Well, that, that will be covered. The formal reading of the rules of engagement will take place at the banquet. After we've registered. After you've registered. Yeah, so I want to ask the question before we register. Are we allowed to bring our magic and our, uh, of course. all of our equipment? Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Of course you are. Right. Okay. okay. And is it is it um, lethal or non-lethal? A, a mixture. Lives are lost, but they needn't be. There is a cash prize. Mm-hmm. Garth Southportal, what's traditional is that the, the financier, the guy that puts the team together and pays for the entry fee, takes 50% of the winnings. The way that the winnings work, there are a series of rounds. It's basically like Wimbledon. It's a seeded draw of teams. Mm-hmm. You're going to go in as like nobody's. Unseeded, yeah. If you win your first round match, you receive a prize of 2,000 gold pieces, not each, altogether, of which Garth would take 1,000. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you win your second round match, you get 4,000. If you win your third round match, you win 8,000. And if you win the final, if you make it that far, that's 16,000. Additionally, there are trophies handed to the teams that win through each round. Yeah. And then the winners take the great belt, the champion's belt, the kind of big trophy, and get the right to come back the following year and defend it. All you know about the defending team is that they're from the Newell Mountains. You know that teams enter from all over the hinterlands, all over the all of the regions. What else can I tell you about the rules? I think well, I, can, I think you would know before you entered the rules about a maximum of eight team members. Teams tend to be smaller. That doesn't count summoned creatures. Okay, you're allowed to, as it were, increase your ranks during the competition by, you know, I think summoning uh, mates, summoning some uh, elementals or mm. yeah, familiars. Yeah. So there we are. Um, if you're ready to go, then we can move on to the game registration and, yeah, the, and the banquet. Okay. Yeah. So the Festival of Misrule starts at the end of this week on Moon Day. But it's not Moon Day. It's just called Misrule the First because these interstitial festivals between the months, the days are named after the festivals. Misrule is the festival where servants are masters and masters are servants. Yeah. These games run for four days with 16 teams Round of 16, quarterfinals, mm-hmm. semi-finals, mm-hmm. 
final. Mm-hmm. You rock up with Garth South Portal <laughs> at six o'clock. Let's have a look at the, the big Evenstar map. You can see that it's not far from Elagos's house at all. It's only a few streets away. It's not very far south of your new base, should you take it, the Sodden Holden Midnight District. It's all They're all quite proximate to each other. It's getting dark when you arrive. There is a kind of city of tents and vendors and hawkers and stuff outside. There are gaggles of gawping onlookers. You can see money changing hands and you are processed. Mm -hmm. There are stakes in the ground and you're moved from one section to another. There's clearly some kind of deliberate artifice going on whereby the teams don't meet each other. Is Garth wearing his waistcoat? Garth is wearing his waistcoat, yes. Excellent. His famous waistcoat with the three lion emblem Mm -hmm. on his left breast, which is out. No, it's not. (laughs) You are ushered into a dark arena. The arena is your standard oval arena. Circus Maximus, but not a circle. There is a light in the centre where there is a, a stage. Surrounding it are banqueting tables where the VIPs, the kind of great and the good of Evenstar are assembled. You can see as you're ushered around in the darkness outside this pool of light, you can see Rachnian at his table near the stage. Surrounding the tables with all the VIPs are 16 team tables. Think Eurovision. And you are ushered to one that's sort of tucked away. You're one of the last teams to be processed, perhaps because you're unseeded. And you're placed at a round table that has something that looks a bit like one of the lanterns from the Whispering Cairn suspended above it, which is unlit. And not only is it unlit, it seems to be casting a sort of dimness over you. And if you look around, you can see the brightly lit VIP tables, the stage, and there are big cooking fires, servants going backwards and forwards with all this amazing food, and drink and so forth. But the competitors' tables are all shrouded in darkness in a circle. And once you're inside and under your lantern, you can see each other perfectly well. Right. Uh, you can see dimly the people at the tables next to you. One team seems to be a team made up of three umber hulks being chivied by a sort of gnome wearing a weird sort of head mantle, head helmet with like umber hulk eyes attached to the side, sort of crystalline things. Goodness knows what's going on there. The team on the other side of you are halflings. They seem very jolly. And they can see enough of you, right, in the dimness. And they call out, hello, well met. Fuck off. <laughs> I see. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Yeah, lovely. Off. Sessions, they look not familiar, but you feel like you're among your people. Yeah? Yep. Um, how many of them are there? There are five of them. And one of them sidles over once you've got yourselves established. This halfling introduces herself as Yakima Red. She says she's the leader of, they call themselves the Fortunati. The Fortunati. Um, they are worshippers of Misfortune, the Lady Luck. Oh, are you now? Well, yeah, good right. to meet you. Yep. Well met, well met. What's your team name? Who is your leader? Who is your captain? Me, Uncle Buggy. Oh, she sort of steps like, oh. A f- Uncle fellow, Buggy and the Flayer Slayers. A fellow, oh, that's a, oh, gracious. And this is a very interesting um, adornment you have there. Oh. May I present my colleagues? She ushers them forward. This is Sars Pilsner. This is Porter Fuggles. They're like, hello, hello. These are the brothers, Golding and Simcoe Stout. And finally, this is Citra Tallglass. She seems to be some sort of spellcaster. Not related to the Flange family, are you? Oh, no, but I do know of the Flanges. Uh, hopefully only half of what we heard is true. Anyway, well, good luck. I hope you enjoy the banquet. This is our first time as well. And so we're not very highly seeded. Hopefully we will avoid you in the early rounds because then perhaps we could 
strike a long and lasting friendship. She looks at you, Sessions, and says, And may your coin always come up ladders. And to you. And they kind of return to their table. The Umberholts are not interested. Mm-hmm. You can see just dimly that they've got a little sign, you know, like your table's got a little sign on it with the flayer slayers on it, right? Like <laughs> a kind of wedding. You can see that their sign says, Death from below. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Umberholts are all just sitting around looking cross. The ceremony starts. There is a sort of fanfare, trumpets, and Rachnian stands up behind his table, and the place is called to silence. And he delivers a speech, welcomes everybody. He welcomes all of the great and the good from Evenstar. He says, you know, those of you who are here in person, it is much appreciated. Those of you observing our ceremony remotely, and he sort of looks up into the air, I can understand how you would like to leave the city during misrule. It's a shame you cannot be with us. And those of you who are at the banquet tonight who are not in your true forms for reasons of discretion, you are also welcome. One thing that, of course, I must emphasize is that during the course of the next four days, the laws of misrule do not apply in the stadium. There's a sort of general groan of kind of disapproval. We cannot have a breakdown of our normal order. You must obey the rules of the games. You must obey my officials. You must follow the directions of the guards. Now I will invite the various priests of all faiths. And you realize that sort of huddling next to the rostrum in a little gaggle are all these robed figures, one of whom seems to be sort of trying to trip the others up. Priests of all faiths, would you please mount the rostrum and bless the games? The first one is Sawin Wuheni, who's the high priestess of Oort. May Oort, the great creator, the great improviser, bless these games, blah, blah, blah. Then you have the chief supplier of Winsim, filler of cupboards, who blesses the banquet, blesses all of the food and drink, and so forth. All the way through, there is one priest who seems to be dressed in motley, like jester's motley. And he keeps standing behind them when they're giving their speeches, like doing rabbit ears, and then laughing at inappropriate moments. They bring on the high priestess of Tonge, and there's a very distinct roar of appreciation from one table over at the other side of the arena, one of the competitor tables. She stands there. She says, listen to me, you children of Evenstar, and hear the doom that builds before your blind eyes. At which point the crowd goes kind of really quiet. It's all a bit awkward. You in your house of gold and you in your hovel of mud, and even you in your mail of metal, none of you are safe from the doom from the age of worms. The character in the motley, the jester's motley, just laughed <laughs> when she says that. Oh, yes, it is coming. Have you not heard the dead dragon's roar? Have you not smelled the rot festering under your very nose? Have you not dreamt of the worm that walks, bringing decay to all he touches? Fools, you are all fools. Your doom is upon you. The end is in sight and none of you shall be spared. Decay is the future and the future is here. And then there's just this silence, really awkward silence. Like, hmm, okay, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a crowd. Down there. <laughs> and on comes the priest of Nud Flunderbucket, who is the god of thieves and fools and the master of misrule. And he's the one in the jester's motley. And he just dances around the stage, going, "Off we go, kill each other. Let's all kill each other for money." <laughs> and Racklian mounts the stage after he's gone and says, "Now." Let me introduce Talabir, the steward of games who will take you through the rules of the contest. And this character mounts the stage. Meanwhile, you're just able to kind of chat and do whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a bit of a break while this chat fussles around with papers. And you're approached by a couple of, they look a bit like high rollers. They're sort of interested. They're sort of wandering around. They kind of peer into the dimness around your table. Like a head pops in. Uh, this sort of slightly jowly uh, merchant chat. And another lady who seems extremely elegant and tall with a very pointy hat 
And they kind of look in and they say, oh, uh, oh we're not familiar with the, the, the peer at your side. The Slayer Slayers, are you uh, gladiators of great repute? Uh, not not exactly, no. We're kind of new the to the, uh, arts. the arena. Oh, I wondered why we hadn't heard of you. Obviously, the greater your reputation, the, the easier your draw would be. It seems that you are probably doomed to face one of the great favourites in the first round. But yes. still, it's been very nice to meet you. Okay. Yes. Who are the favourites? We're Denmark in 1992. <laughs> uh, the favourites are... Well... There is a team, something to do with Newell Mountain. Uh, it's not it's not clear. You don't get given these other names. There's a team called um, Pitchblade, apparently, who are dwarves, who are very highly fancied. Ah. You get the sense that these VIPs are basically sounding people out. and that For betting purposes. Perhaps there's some sort of conversational currency going on, whereby you're almost getting the opportunity to kind of talk yourselves up. Ah. Mm. Do you like our um, head? I say it's um, um, it's uh, it catches the, the the darkness in a rather particular. Is that a mind flayer's head? Yes. Oh, it I is. see. Hence the name. Yes, yes. it's real. <laughs> How enormously distasteful! Mm. Isn't it dripping onto your food? It's stuffed. I beg your pardon. It's There's stuffed. No to be rude. Oh, it's stuffed. I'm sorry. Ah. I misunderstood you. You're so small, I could hardly see you. Arr. Oh, you seem to have brought your pet with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about him. Get away from me before I lose my temper. Oh, wow. Perhaps you are a team to be watched in the games, and they kind of have a bit of a chat with each other and kind of head off. Somebody give me a charisma deception check. Charisma deception. Mm, I don't know whether deception. that's good. Oh, okay. Yeah, go charisma. I got no. plus four. I've got plus oh. three. Well, I, we got a, I got an 11, which means I got a 10. <laughs> I got a 7. I got... Oh, oh my 12. God. Jesus, are we rubbish? Burple got 18. Do you think that your attempt to downplay your experience, Burple, might have oddly worked the other way around? You get the sense that they've walked off feeling that, that perhaps you were trying to pull the wool over their eyes a little. And pretend that we didn't know what we were about. Do you get the sense that they've wandered off feeling that perhaps you're, you can take care of yourselves a little bit more than they first understood when they arrived? This Talabir chap is ready, and he holds a hand up for silence, and he starts taking you through the rules of the competition. He says, um, so good evening. <laughs> the game show voice. Gladiators, competitors, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. So funny. Ladies and gentlemen, these are the rules of battle. All battles are potentially lethal. All of you have the option to surrender during each bout. No. To surrender... You must drop your weapons. You must kneel and hold both hands in the air. A gladiator who attacks a surrendering foe is immediately disqualified and likely to face civic charges. Uh A gladiator who surrenders and then resumes the bout or attacks another gladiator is also immediately disqualified. Gladiators that can fly or levitate may do so up to a height of 40 feet. And he gestures... (laughs) Up at the stands, and you can see that little lanterns go on all the way around. Obviously, a 40-foot mark. Mm -hmm. A gladiator that flies any higher is disqualified. (laughs) Burrowing into the arena's floor is forbidden. At which point you hear a howl from the Umberhulks. And the leader just takes his glass and just smashes it on the table. And they kind of all huddle together in a kind of mess in the middle of the table. Sort of going, <laughs> a match persists until one team is victorious. 
either through the death or the surrender of all opposing gladiators. Oh, all. Winning gladiators have no right to the spoils of the fallen. A defeated gladiator keeps his gear, or in the case of death, ownership of gear reverts to his team or manager. Any tactic that endangers spectators is grounds for immediate disqualification and possible legal action. (laughs) A disqualified gladiator must cease fighting at once and must move to the edge of the field of battle immediately. Failure to comply results in disqualification of the entire team. Once a gladiator is disqualified, he may no longer take part in any remaining battles. The final rule is that awards will be given at the end of each bout. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to introduce the teams. At which point, one by one, the lanterns light over the tables. And he goes round. <laughs> and there are 16 teams. Yeah, there are 16 oh teams. We'll God. try and make this, we'll make this as quick as we can. First up, the Lost and the Damned. And the light <laughs> pops on over. A, you can hardly make them out. They're almost at the other side of the arena. But they look like they're basically just robes, darkness, hoods. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you get the sense that there's a sort of tentacle poking out underneath a robe somewhere. There's about five of them sitting around a table. They don't seem to have any food or drink in front of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Next, the team Slobber. Another light comes on, and they're gnolls. They look like slavering, massive, great, beefy gnolls. May I introduce their captain, Noel Gallagher, (laughs) who stands up. (laughs) And his two companions, Noel Fielding. And I was running out of gnolls, by the way. And finally, Noel Gay Television Productions. (laughs) And the other gnoll stands up and goes, let's move on. Over here, and he points in your direction, but it's not you. Death from below. And the light comes on over the Umberholtz, and they're still arguing. <laughs> and next to them, and he's moving round. The Dyson Desire Casino and Pleasure House now taking bookings through Ape Shit and Mage. <laughs> the light comes on over this team of like five adventurers who are all wearing branded armor with uh. the Dyson Desire Casino and Pleasure House kind of logo on it. Is this as we have to declare product placement? Uh, thank you, by the way, to the Dice and Desire for that one, and thank you to uh, thank you to Ed, I think, for the Lost and the Damned. Ed, our reader, over here, and he gestures over to another set, almost opposite the other side of the arena, and the light goes on. The Anvil of Thump. There's these giant suits of armor <laughs> teetering on these little stools that you've been given, and they're holding these enormous outside mauls. I mean, they're all just too big. You would never use them in a real battle. And as you're watching, the helmet of one of the suits of armor opens like the lid of a tank, and a little gnome pops out, climbs out over the top of it. <laughs> Thanks to Death Trap Games for the Anvil of Thump. And over here, we have our brethren from the Mistmarsh, the Mistmarsh Maulers, with their captain, Artemis Featherington Smythe. And it's a set of lizard folk <laughs> who are all wave their clubs in the air and go, Oh, hello. <laughs> Over here, we have the Midnight Shankers. <laughs> and there's like this table with loads of people, like so many more than are allowed. Uh, but they look like the absolute dregs. They look like villains. They look like they've been swept off the streets. They've got shanks and bits of broken glass and they're all kind of bearded and crazed and they're just feasting on the food. Over here, we have... One of our favourites, Pitchblade. The light goes on. There's two giant dwarves, dwarven barbarians with huge great axes. They're kind of like, yeah. And over on their right, 
We have a deputation sent from the other side of the Newell Mountains, from the Frog Wizards of Bonts, Newt, the sight from orbit. <laughs> and the light comes on over a table. And there's a blue slard. Do you know what a slard is? It's like yeah. a, basically like there's a frog a demon. Yeah. With a spiked collar around its neck and a chain leading to this little old wizardy looking guy who seems to be very nervous of it, like um, Jim in Friday Night Dinner. <laughs> He's sitting at the, looking up at this thing. This thing's like... <clears throat> and this little old wizard is like... <clears throat> now, on the other side of the arena, welcome the chromatics. And there's a team of dragonkin of each of the colours. White, green, black, blue and red. Dragonkin warriors, each obviously with the breath weapon. And next to them, behold the great eye. And the light goes on, and it's worshippers of Tonge. They've got tall, pointy hoods with single eyes with a sun corona design stitched into the front. And they all look like they're kind of bumping into each other and they can't see properly. And they obviously can't eat because the hoods are in the way. Over here, we have the harrowing horde. And it's just a bunch of kind of farmers with enormously dangerous looking farm equipment. Like <laughs> harrows and rakes and hoes. Thanks to Bardic Dan for that suggestion. We are down to our final teams. And ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome the Flayer Slayers? And your light goes on. And there's a kind of, and people are kind of like, who? <laughs> with their captain. Uh, and he sort of riffles with the paper. Bun bundle. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm sorry. Uncle, uh, Uncle Buggy. And people kind of. And the crowd crane. goes wild. Well, the crowd are all kind of turning in their seats every time a new light goes on, right? And they're all kind of making their own. And you can see again, money is changing hands and people are kind of chatting I draw my great axe as he says that and then I spring 15 foot up into the air <laughs> land on the table yeah excellent <sighs> over here the small folk with their captain Yakima Red the Fortunati and the light goes on next to you and it's all the, the hobbits and they all stand on their stools and kind of wave their weapons in the air and there's a kind of big cheer it seems like they're really popular now we are coming to the favourites for our competition first of all let me introduce to you the Gravediggers, with their leader, Filge. The light goes on over the oh, over a table, oh and there is God. no table. There's just a graveyard cart. There's a hearse <laughs> piled with coffins. And sitting on the driver's stoop is Filge, peering around. <gasps> did, we, did we let him go? Yeah. We give him the thumbs up. And with their manager at the table tonight, Mr. Balabar Smenk. And a huge rotund Ooh. figure of Balabar Smenk behind the cart. is kind of peering around, looking oily at everybody. And finally, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce our defending champions from the Newell Mountains. <laughs> oh, I know. It's the Newell Mountain Massacre. And a light goes on and there are these two enormous golems sitting on the table like it's a chair that they're sharing. They're studded with like metal implants and all sorts of stuff stuck in them. Featuring the Leatherworks golems with their handler, Mernst Dankbarrel. And from behind them floats what you thought was initially you thought was a balloon. It's basically a spherical person who's floating around with like his feet sticking out like a beach ball with his hands sticking out and a kind of pointy hat. And of course their captain, the wearer of the champion's belt, the leader of the Newell Mountain Massacre, undefeated in seven competitions from Evenstar. Shane <laughs> And everybody goes crazy. And up into the light steps 
the man you've not seen since that snowy night outside the Cairn. The belt that he was wearing at the time is now glistening and he's wearing like his dress armor and he kind of sneers at the crowd. It's almost like he can see right across the arena. He kind of looks straight at you. Uh, and we will pick things uh, up next uh, week. God! Uh, surely not. I want to play now. The Billowing Hilltop podcast is a Billowing Hilltop production. Dungeons and Dragons is a trademark of Wizards of the Coast. The Champion's Belt and Age of Worms are copyright Paizo. The Champion's Belt was written by Tito Lietti. Music is from Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com and is used with thanks under the Creative Commons license. Additional music and sound effects come from the wonderful Sirenscape. All other original material is copyright Billowing Hilltop. Role-playing games are all about getting people together and we use Roll20 as our tabletop, the perfect place to host your game and Discord to host our chat. Thanks for listening! Danger, mystery, intrigue. Think you've heard all that actual play podcasts have to offer? Think again. I'm Nate Peterson. I'm Nate Peterson, the 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 dungeon master. Yes, Stuart. What can I do for you? I know naught of this, Stuart. My name is Dweezil Vanzafir, the Bard of Bards. Well, firstly, your name's Stuart and you're from Yorkshire. Secondly, I'm, I don't know if you've noticed, I'm trying to record an advert for our show. Well, firstly, in your parlance, I've never even heard of this Yorkshire. And secondly, if there is a show to be advertised, then surely it should be I, Dweezil Vanzafir, to do the advertising. I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, surely this is a job for me as the Dungeon Master. Uh, perhaps a, uh, song? No, I certainly don't think it's time for a song. Five adventurers, brave and true, strong of will and strong of arm. A band unbreakable through and through, they protect each other from insult and harm. What more persuasion could one require? Tune in to hear our tales. Uh, 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 Dice and desire. You see, Stuart, words do have power, but certainly not as much power as the dungeon master. Join me as I corral my merry band of misfits who stonking thunder every week on Dice and Desire, a 5e actual play podcast.